Okay, this morning we are going to begin our, um, or I should say continue our discussion of the importance of the love of God. So if you take your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 5, and we'll be dealing with verses 44 through 48 this morning. Last time we looked at uh, verse 43 and saw how the Pharisees' version of love was different from God's kind of love, right? And we, we looked at two main points, and this is by way of review, uh, brothers and sisters, and for, for those of you who are joining us for the first time so that you can get caught up to speed in, in terms of what we're talking about. Um, the, in the Pharisees' version of love, um, they tolerated a love or a hatred, I should say, for their enemies. And the way the Pharisees loved, they tolerated a hatred for one's enemies. True Christians, here's the point, and this is by way of review, true Christians are commanded to love our enemies. Right? And that's a marked difference between the way the world loves and the way Christians love. We are willing to love our enemies, right, brothers and sisters? We have to go there because we're commanded by God to do that. And if you are unwilling to love your enemies, then you need to check your heart before the Lord, right? But the second thing we saw about God's kind of love and, and contrasting it with the world's love, is God's love is a gift. We first love, okay, or we love like God, rather. Excuse me, I'm kind of discombobulated this morning. We love like God, brothers and sisters, because God has loved us first, right? That's where we get it from. I, 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 I don't have what it takes to love enemies, my enemies, I don't have what it takes to love people like God loved me. That's something that I have to get from him. And what we, what we distinguish there is we don't want to confuse God's kind of love for natural love, or love that comes natural to us, right, brothers and sisters? My love for my children comes natural to me, right? My love for my race, my people, comes natural to me, right? My love for uh, my sports team comes natural to me, right? But that's not God's love. That's the love that God has given us being made in his image and after his likeness. It's not wrong, okay? But it's not the love of God. The love of God has to be given to you when you become a Christian. And Romans chapter 5 makes it clear that God sheds his love abroad in our hearts when he gives us his Holy Spirit and then we learn to love just like God. All right? Is that clear so far? Okay. So the first distinguishing mark between the way we love as Christians and the way the world loves is Christians, unlike the world, are willing to love their enemies. And that brings us to verse 44 through 48 of Matthew chapter 7, or 5, I'm sorry, uh, Matthew chapter 5. And that's what we're going to deal with this morning and so what I want to do is I want to read the text, then I'll give you the outline for how we're going to handle the text, 
and then we'll, we'll, we'll um, get into our time for this morning. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 48. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And that's what we covered last week under the Pharisaical interpretation. Verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? That's that love that comes natural to us. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The first thing we're going to do is we're going to define who our enemies are. Um, and we have to do that because Jesus is telling us to love our enemies, right, in this text. So we need to ask ourselves, well, who are our enemies? And that will be our first point. Secondly... We're going to look at why our enemies hate us, okay? Why our enemies don't like us as Christians. And then the third thing we're going to discuss is how we as Christians are to love our enemies according to this text. Make sense? All right. Now let me say before we get into the text or before we pray this morning, or actually get into the text because Doug opened us with prayer, this is not an exhaustive study on the love of God, Okay. What I'm doing is I'm preaching the text to you, all right, and I'm defining love as it comes to us in the text. The study of God's love is massive. I mean that, brothers and sisters. I'd love to do a series on that, really, because it's so rich. Um, and I need to say that because I know that I'm going to leave out a lot of aspects about God's love, okay? And if, you, if I create more questions then I give you answers, then come and see me. So I just want to give that caveat before we begin, all right? So the first thing we need to do is we need to identify who our enemies are, right? Um, and Jesus, in his interpretation of the law of love, draws out another major difference between the way God loves from the world and that is God's kind of love, here it is, brothers and sisters, God's kind of love, unlike the world's, does not tolerate sin. All right? God's kind of love, the way God loves, does not tolerate sin. Or to state it another way, God's kind of love will always deal with sin. The world will sweep it under the carpet, but not God. Right? Now, we already determined, unlike Pharisees, Christians are to love their enemies. The next question is, well, how do we do that? What does a love for our enemies look like? And like I said earlier, we need to identify our enemies. And for you African Americans, it's not the white man who's wearing a police uniform right now. 
right? And for you Republicans, it's not liberal Democrats. And you Democrats, it's not the conservative Republican. Okay? Don't get caught up into a wrong fight, a wrong battle. We're going to define clearly who our enemies are as Christians. You guys with me? Okay. Um, it's true that all who are not a friend of God are his enemies. Jesus said, he who is not with me is what? Against me. Okay, but we have to be careful. We have to nuance this, brothers and sisters, because we can uh, do more harm than good if we don't. So Jesus said, he who is not with me is against me, but that's not what he means in this text by his enemies. All right? What Jesus means by enemies are those who rise up in opposition to the work of God and the gospel. Okay? Now let me show you this. There are people who make themselves our enemies, speaking of Christianity and what we represent, all that we represent. There are people that make themselves our enemies for various reasons. And I want to highlight this because we can generalize this. We can broad brush this and miss the whole point. Okay? There are people who make themselves our enemies for religious purposes. And they're with us today. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Islam, for example. We've got to talk about that. We can't let the PC culture relegate us or cause us to minimize what God has called us to say as Christians, what God has called us to do, right? There's a reason why they are our enemies or we are their enemies, and we're going we're gonna to discuss that so we can leave here with that clear in our heads and we can know how to live as a result of that, all right, and not get caught up into the PC culture. There are people who set themselves against Christianity for business and commerce purposes, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? The corporation goes in a different di uh, direction, and they want to represent something that conflicts with your Christianity, and you got to make a choice whether you want to stay with the company or not, right? Or whether you want to find another job. There are people who make themselves our enemies or rise up against Christ in the gospel also for cultural reasons. Okay? You guys with me? So let's look at this in Scripture. And, and this is going to be sort of tedious, but that's okay because I want you guys to see this coming from your Bibles. Okay? That's my manner of teaching you. I'm, I'm, I'm more... Um, disposed to make sure you guys are studying the scriptures than I am just giving you a message that you can go away with and have for your toolbox. You guys need to be in the Bible, studying the word of God. That's the legacy that I want to leave with all who uh, are taught or centered or my teaching. So let's turn to Acts chapter 7, first of all. Acts chapter 7. And for those of you who may not know, this is the Apostle Paul, before he was Paul, he was Saul of Tarsus. And Saul of Tarsus um, was an enemy of the gospel. He opposed Christianity, he rose up against it, he set his face to destroy it, 
okay? Um, so let's pick it up in verse 51. This is uh, Stephen's martyrdom. Verse 51, we're just going to break right in here. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did so, so do you. Context here is Stephen just got through sharing the gospel with the leaders in Israel, and what he's doing is he's telling them point blank, you, you who are responsible to let the nation of Israel know that who Messiah is and, and prepare for his coming, you actually did what? Crucified him. You know how offensive that is, brothers and sisters? He could have kept quiet about it, right? He could have sugarcoated it. He didn't, he didn't have to go there. You know what I'm talking about? But he did. And because he went there, guess what happened? Watch. Verse 52. Listen to this man. We'd be like, tone it down, Stephen. Come on, Steve. Oh, man, what are you doing? You trying to get us killed? That would be us, right? Watch him. Verse 52. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you have become the betrayers and murderers. Now tell me, that doesn't cut right to the core. You understand? He is showing them their what? Their sin. He's not sugarcoating it. He's not mincing words. He's telling them, you guys killed the Messiah. You murdered him. Right? Now watch their response. When the, verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stop their ears. That means they willfully stopped listening. We don't want to listen to this. They, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and, 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 and went about to establish their own righteousness, meaning we don't want this. We don't want to hear the truth. We don't want to hear that we've killed the Messiah. We're okay with our interpretation of things and our forefathers. You understand? There's a war here. There's a battle. Okay? Don't miss that. Verse 57, then they cried out, with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses had laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And the Bible introduces this notorious figure called Saul. All right? And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and catched this and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. So he pointed out their sin, loved them, and then when they reacted and threatened him to the point of what? Death. He did not say, man, what are you doing? And, and, and why are you responding that way? No, he said, Lord, don't lay this to their what? He loved them. He loved them by telling them their sin, 
And then he loved them by not taking it personally when they reacted to what? Him telling them their sin, the truth. That's how you love your enemies, brothers and sisters. You understand? You guys with me? And I know a thousand and one examples for the, you who know your Bibles are coming to your mind, beginning with the Lord Jesus himself, right? When Jesus came and told the nation of Israel their sin, and they did what to him? Hung him on a cross. And what did he say when he was up on the cross? Father, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. He didn't take it personally. You understand? See, God's love is different than ours, isn't it? See, we as Christians must learn to love our enemies, but not stop there. We need to know how to do that as well. Just like Stephen and Jesus. You understand? And what we typically do as Christians, at least for me, is we struggle, don't we? You know, we get in relationships with people, and we know they're homosexual, or we get in relationships with people, and we know they're fornicating, or we get in relationships with people, and we know they're just, you know, have really, really bad attitudes, and we keep quiet, all in the name of what? Love, right? But what kind of love is that? It's worldly love. Do you understand? God's kind of love won't allow that. It doesn't tolerate that. You guys with me? Okay. Now, now there's a way to do it. Okay, and we'll get to that because I know some Christians can be very belligerent all in the name of what? Love, right? So we don't want to go to that extreme either. Okay? So we have to walk a balance here. We have to hold a balance. And that's why it's so important that we look at these examples in Scripture. So here we see Stephen being uh, martyred because he told Israel their sins. So don't do this. Yes, Stephen was martyred because he was Christian. Stephen was martyred because he was saved. That's too general. No, Stephen was martyred because as a Christian, he told people their what? Sin. You guys with me? We have to go there as Christians. We can't just be satisfied that we're we have the label, we're Christians. You guys understand? We must go there in our culture, just like these holy saints were going there in their culture and paid a heavy price for it. Are you ready to serve the Lord that way, brothers and sisters? You want me to be your pastor, right? You remember what I told you a long time ago? You sure you want me to be your pastor? Mm-hmm. You sure you want to go where Jesus is leading you? Want to, you know, it's not about entertainment, right? It's not about fun and games. It's about being like Jesus to the point of death, if he so chooses, right? <clears throat> one, chapter 8, 1 through 3, because I want to highlight Paul now. By the way, I believe the Apostle Paul was saved as a result of Stephen's martyrdom. Don't just look at Saul of Tarsus here and, and, and think that this man is not weighing out things in his soul. You understand? He, Saul's doing this. This man is trying to pin me with the murder of the Messiah. And I've been taught from my youth up because Saul was, you know, a, a, a Pharisee. He was a theologian in his day. He, he's not just some, you know, moronic person walking around just, you know, 
No, he knows the issue. He knows exactly what these Christians are trying to do in Israel. You guys with me? They are trying to stamp out Judaism. And Saul says, no way. No way. I will die before I allow Christians to come in here and infiltrate my Israel, my people, my nation. I will die before that happens. You understand? See, don't just, don't say, yeah, Saul did that because he was unsaved. That's too general. No, Saul did it as an unsaved person. He rose up in opposition to Jesus and Christianity and said, stop right there. I will kill you if you go any further with that stuff. Don't bring it in my neighborhood. Don't bring it in my nation. Don't bring it around here. We don't want it. You understand? Those are enemies. And see, you and I got to make a choice, don't we? Do we love our lives to the point that we're willing to compromise? Man, if they start pulling out the bullets and, you know, and start causing me to lose my job, you know, I guess I'll just what? Be quiet. I guess I'll, I'll stop living for Jesus. Is that what you see in the text? No, we don't. Turn over to Galatians chapter, well, let, let's just read this. Now Saul was consenting to his death. At the time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. Why do you think that persecution arose? Because Christians were going around, like Jesus commanding them, telling them that they what? You Israelites have sinned. You've crucified the Messiah. And Jesus says, I want you guys to go out and tell that to them. Preach the gospel. That's what it looked like in their culture. Show them their sin. Well, well, what is the sin of that day? You crucified the Messiah. And that's the message of the first century church. You say, well, that's harsh. That's mean. That's cruel. No, that's going to give them hope, brothers and sisters. Because they need to hear the truth as to what they actually did. Do you understand? And without that, you don't have a gospel. Without that, you don't have God's kind of love. Do you understand? So turn over to Galatians chapter 1. And just quickly, let's look at Paul's motivation. And I want to show you this coming from Paul himself after he was converted. In Galatians chapter 1, he tells us why he was doing what he was doing. And he doesn't say, because I was unsaved. <coughs> Excuse me. In Galatians chapter 1, he, we read this. I would set the context, but I can't give you the context for everything we're doing because I'll just run out of time, right? So you guys okay with that? Okay. 11, if you have questions, if you disagree or, you know, you think I'm off, just please come and see me. It'd be love to, I'd love to sit down with you and just work through these things together because I love taking people to their Bibles, right? Digging in the Word. So verse 11, but I make it known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through revelation of Jesus Christ. Meaning he didn't get it through his Judaism. It wasn't through the school, his schooling and his education that he was brought up under. Okay? 
He says, verse 13, For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to what? Destroy it. Wipe it out. You understand? And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation. See what Paul's saying there? He's saying, for my party, for my cause, I went all the way to the what? Top. And I was willing to kill Christians. All in the name of promoting and keeping Judaism alive. Guys get it? See his motivation for doing what he's doing? The whole point is this, brothers and sisters, that I'm saying, is the gospel was a threat to Paul. You guys with me? The gospel exposed Paul for what he truly was, what he was doing. You take the gospel away, you take these Christians away, Paul would have been a champion. He would have been a, 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 um, one who's loved and exalted in Israel, right? The champion of our people. But you bring Jesus and these disciples in, they start using language like, no, he's actually a terrorist. He's actually a, a murderer. Oh, don't talk that way. Uh, you know, we don't do that in Israel. You know, we got PC. We got to be politically correct. You don't call Paul and them that. Don't ever call them murderers. But the point is, what was he doing to Christians? He was murdering them. You understand? And Stephen took the time to tell him that. Saul, you got it wrong. I'm sorry, but you killed the Messiah and you're about to kill me right now. So, our enemies are those who rise up in opposition to us because they don't like what we stand for or what we represent or what we're doing in the way we live. Okay? Another example. Excuse me. Turn in your Bibles to... Turn in your Bibles to Acts 19. Acts chapter 19. And I want to show you how people who feel threatened in business and commerce, will rise up against the gospel. And this is just one example. I can give you many examples of this, both Old and New Testament. Um, Acts chapter 19, we read this, just breaking right in here, verse, uh, let's start in verse 16. Um, Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them and prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. So it was known. It was publicized. It's like you're you're, you're walking in the grocery store, and you see on the magazines or the tabloids, boom. And you turn on your TV. It's all over the place, right? This happened in our culture, okay? Well, well, what was it? Verse 17, this became uh, known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus. And fear fell on them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. 
and they counted up the value of them, and it tallied 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. So what, what's happening here is Paul and the apostles are going to Ephesus. They're preaching the gospel. They're telling people about Jesus Christ and what had happened, and some are believing. And because of that belief, they're beginning to put away their what? Their lifestyles that are offensive to who? That's sin by definition, by the way. Sin is not a mistake. Sin is not, you know, whoops. No, sin is things that God finds offensive. And so when these people became converted and their eyes were open, they're like, this offends you. So they put it away. Now watch the reaction from business and commerce in Ephesus. Verse 21, when these things were accomplished, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must go also to Rome. So he sent to Macedonia to, okay, let's skip that. I'm sorry, you guys. Verse 23, and about that time, there arose a great commotion about the Christians. That's what the term way means there, okay? It's a reference to Christianity. Before they were given their name, they were called the way. You with me? Okay, for a certain man named Demetrius, a silversmith, that's what he did by trade, who made silver shrines of Diana, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. So not only was he a silversmith by trade, he brought profits to the craftsmen who did the same thing. It was a business. You guys with me? Okay. He called them together with the workers of similar occupation and said, men, you know that we have our prosperity by this trade. Hmm. Moreover, you see and hear that not only at Ephesus, but throughout almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying that they are not gods which are made with hands. See, he could have left it there. You know, we're okay with that. We'll be a pluralistic society. You know, you have your God, we'll have our God, and we'll just live and let live, right? You understand? Sort of like what America's turning into, right? Many gods now. It's not Jesus anymore. It's not the Judeo-Christian values anymore. It's mini-gods. We're pluralistic, right? Now, he could have left it there, but he doesn't. Why? He says in verse 27, So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling in disrepute, but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipped. Now, when they heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. So they, the whole city was filled with confusion and rushed into the theater with one accord, having seized Gaius and um, Aristarchus, Macedonians, Paul's traveling companions. So they rose up in opposition to who? God and the gospel. Why? Because one man convinced them, your livelihood is just dwindling right before your very eyes. You understand that? And they set themselves up as enemies of God and the gospel. All right? And wanted to destroy the work of God as a result of that. And they arrested Gaius and took him in. Okay? Another example. And the last one here, uh, I, I want to take you to the Old Testament so you guys can see that this stuff is done in the Old Testament as well. Remember how I was saying that when you're on to truth in Scripture, it shows up where? 
all over the scripture. You can't avoid it. It's like, boom, boom. You turn here, it's all over the place. Um, uh, Genesis chapter 19. And this would be more of a cultural thing. Cultural. In Genesis chapter 19, it's the story or the account of Lot in Sodom and Gomorrah. All right? And the world knows about Sodom and Gomorrah because it's become a proverb and a byword in our day for immorality, sexual immorality, that is. Well, we're, we're going to read the actual account of this, these two wicked cities and why it was that God destroyed them. But in Genesis chapter 19, and I'm going somewhere with all this, you guys, and it'll be more pleasant at the tail end, hopefully, but I've got to go here just to set the, the, the uh, context. Uh, Genesis chapter 19, let's start in verse um, 5. And they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. Okay? Children, plug your ears. Knowing someone carnally doesn't mean friendship. Okay, it's a reference to sexual immorality. Okay? That's what it's talking about here. Um, verse 6, So Lot went out to them through the doorway, shut the door behind him, and said, Please, my brethren. And he's not calling them Christian. You remember how I said last week that it's just culture. In Israel, you call everyone brothers and so on and so forth because they're of one people and one kindred and that kind of thing. Okay? Um, do not do so wickedly. See now, I have two daughters who have not known a man. That's another sermon. Shelve that right now. Okay? Please let me... By the way, they were virgins. Okay? In a sexually immoral culture and society, his two daughters were what? Virgins. Shows you what kind of man Lot was. What kind of father. Okay? Don't give him a bad rap. Um, only do nothing to these men since th this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof. And they said, stand back. Then they said, this one, speaking of Lot, this is the s uh, spokesman for the city, this one came in to stay here and he keeps acting as our what? Judge. Well, well, what do you mean he keeps acting as our judge? See, by Lot saying, don't do this, right? And by him saying, hey, look, even take my daughters, but don't do this to, to these, these men. He was pointing out their what? Sin. There it is again. He was pointing out their sin, brothers and sisters. Do you guys understand that? Now watch their reaction. We just read it. Verse 9, and they said, stand back. Then they said, this one came in to stay here, and he keeps acting as our judge. Sounds like our culture today, when we begin to point out, said, don't judge me. You're judging me. You guys, that's old as Genesis. Right? You know, love doesn't do that. Love doesn't judge. Wrong Love does make distinctions and discernment and calls out sin. 
And you better get that right in the way you love people. Now, we got to hold a balance. I know we can be belligerent as Christians sometimes, and we can judge in a wrongful sense, right? But let's get the record straight here. Now, watch their reaction. Now we will deal with you worse than with them. So they pressed hard against the man lot and came near to break down the door. They were going to what? Kill him. Why? Because he called out their sin. Right? Okay, so um, we see that uh, people make themselves enemies of God and his gospel and Christians. And here's, here's where I'm going, brothers and sisters. When Christians do what? Deal with sin. If you and I stop dealing with sin in our culture, I don't care how Christian you are, people will what? Leave you alone. You understand? If you ain't departing from iniquity in your life, you know what people will do? Live and let live. Right? And at that point, you are no longer salt. You are no longer light. And you blend right in with who? The culture. You guys with me? And thus, we got Christianity in America right now, right? By and large. Except for us, brothers and sisters, right? <laughs> Except for us. See, we do it right. We love the Lord Jesus. We know there's a price to pay. We've counted the cost. And we say, as long as you're with me, Lord Jesus, as long as you're with me, I'm willing to do this because of your love for me and what you've done for me. All right, so... That brings us to why our enemies hate us, and the answer is a no-brainer, right? Our enemies hate us because as Christians, we're to be salt and light. They hate us because we're to be countercultural. They hate us because we're supposed to be departing from evil in the way we live, and when you do that, it automatically points out their what? Their sin. And they don't like that. Trust me, I'm a doctor. Just kidding. I didn't like it when I was dead in my trespasses and sin, so I'm not pointing a finger at them, but I'm called to do it, and so are you, if you love like God loves. There's not a soul that's been redeemed by the love of God where God just loved you and swept your sin where? Under the carpet, right? No, for God so loved the world that he did what? Look at the cross. And I don't mean just look at the cross. I mean, look what happened. Okay? And then you'll get a good sense of what God did for his love for sinners. First, starting with giving his son. And then just pay attention. You know, I, I don't know where you guys are at with Mel Gibson's depiction of the cross. You know, the passion, that movie, The Passion. But one thing it brought out, okay, was the horrific graphic details of what happened to our Lord. You understand what I'm talking about? And I, that brought me to my knees. And brought, that brought tears to my eyes because I was like, wow, Lord, I missed that. 
but what it magnifies is the love of God. And God does not sweep sin under the carpet. He dealt with it. Look at the cross. That's what it's all about. See, we don't like telling people that. See, we want to paint it in a, a worldly kind of loving way, right? That it excuses sin. It sweeps sin under the carpet. And you could just be the way you want before God because he did that. No, that's the wrong message. It's not how you preach the gospel. People need to know that they're sinners so that they can put their hope in the Savior of sinners. That's what Christmas is all about, by the way. We'll be talking about that next week. He shall save his people from their sins. His name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He is the Savior of sinners. That's what Christmas is all about. If you miss that, you don't understand the meaning of Christmas. That's why that man came into the world, point blank. Now, how, let's close, or let's wrap this up with how do we love our enemies? Um, I think I got everything that I wanted to... So let's turn back to Matthew chapter 5, and we'll look at, we'll close it out here, how we love our enemies. Jesus gives counsel, he goes on in Matthew chapter 5, to give counsel on how you and I are to love our enemies. So we, we looked at who our enemies are, There are people who set themselves in opposition against us for being who we are, Christians, right? Not black, not white, not Republican, not Democrat, Christian, right? Okay? And when they smell that about us, because they have something at stake, we saw with Saul, it was his religion. We saw with the people in Ephesus, it was their business, and we saw with uh, uh, the homosexuals in, in Sodom and Gomorrah, because that's what they, they were, right? That's where we get the term sodomy and so on and so forth. We saw that they, they couldn't just freely do live their sexually moral lifestyle with this guy Lot walking around, because he's always acting like our what? Judge. So we got to get rid of him. He's the only one in our culture talking. Get it? Well, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this. This is how we love them. Verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies. Well, how do we do it? Point one, bless those who curse you. Well, why in the world would they curse us, Lord? We just talked about it. Right? Do good to those who hate you. Well, why in the world would anyone hate Ernie King? I'm so lovable and likable, right? Not when I'm pointing out your sin, right? And vice versa. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. Well, why in the world would anyone persecute and use and despitefully use us if we're minding our own business? They won't. See, it assumes that you're living like Christ in the apostles of the first century. It assumes that you're, 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 you're departing from evil like Paul told Timothy. Let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Are you doing that, brothers and sisters? Are you just blending right in with the culture? You know, doing everything that they're doing. And they don't see their sins. And here's the, this is what I want you to get above all else. Here, here's the point. Okay? 
Because once a person begins to see their sin and themselves for who they really are, then they start to understand why you keep making such a big deal out of who? Jesus, the Savior of who? Sinners. Do you understand that? And if your gospel doesn't have that as a part of it, you're not sharing the gospel properly. See how it works? So we're not just coming into people's life to point out their sins to make them feel bad, brothers and sisters. We're pointing out their sins so that they can see Jesus for who he is, the Savior of sinners. And if they don't, they're automatically going to set themselves as our what? Enemies, because there's no neutral ground, right? See, the neutrality or the apparent neutrality is when we just keep quiet and don't say anything and let live and let live. That's, that's, that's what creates all this gray matter, right? But let someone start talking and let someone start going there. And before you know it, Satan will rise up with his emissaries and then you got war. You got all out war the way it's supposed to be. Okay? Brothers and sisters, we are in a battle, a cosmic battle. Don't lose sight of that. You understand? Day in and day out, there's something going on much, much bigger than our small, puny worlds. And God has ordained this battle right from the very beginning. That's what we're going to talk about. We're going to follow the seed in, uh, uh, of, of Christ from Genesis all the way up until he came down as a little baby boy and Satan tried to what? Kill him. Why? Because he knew what was going on. Satan is aware of this battle. Are you? See, your lifestyle, brothers and sisters, your speech, the way you behave, the way you dress, the way you act means something. Every day, you are either representing your king and the sovereign one, and you're proclaiming the Christmas story by the way you live, if you will. You understand? Which all together buttresses when we have to talk about it, you know, in, in a celebra celebratory fashion, like now, right? See, it, it counts for that. There's no neutrality. Or, you're not living for the glory of God, and you're not faithfully representing your Lord and your Savior as a Christian. Which one is it? Right? A couple of passages I want to close you with, or close out the sermon with. Um, turn to Ephesians chapter 5, just quickly. This is the Apostle Paul speaking to the church at Ephesus. We just read about it, right? How in Acts, Paul and them preached the gospel, and they started this church. You can read about it in Acts. And look, it, it's, 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 it's here. There's people believed, and they, they put away their, their sin, and they started following the Lord Jesus. And they huddled together as a community of people, a local church. And when they lost their jobs, 
because of Christ, guess where they, guess, guess what they relied on then? The church, you and I, right? He says in verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named amongst you as fitting for saints. You guys understand that? That's a high standard, isn't it? And we fall short of that, don't we? But let's not do this, brothers and sisters. Well, you know, we all fall short. You know how it is. And we all sin, so we wallow in it, right? No, we don't want to wallow in our sin. We, we do fall short. We are sinners. We sin daily. And Christ has paid for that. But you should want to be righteous. You should want to pursue holiness. You should, want to, you should want your life to be its full potential for the glory of God. Why? So you can be a trophy and so you can be someone that, that people are attracted to? No. So you can be salt and light to its fullest. You understand? So you can be so different that when people see you at work or wherever it is, they say, wow, I know they're a Christian, and I know they're doing things differently, and I'm watching them, and, and I'm going to ask of the reason of the hope that is within them one day. I'm going to get the courage to do it because I see their lifestyle. And even when those at work who hate them and I'm sitting there watching in the wings, and I'm like, and they're persecuting them. I, I just want you to know, I, I know you're being persecuted for Christ. I know you're suffering. Who is your God? Do you understand? See, God will use you, brothers and sisters, not only to expose sin, but to save sinners through you proclaiming the message of the gospel in context, right? In context. Them seeing your life, them observing, and then finally getting to the point to say, you know, I'm going to ask. Brethren, do you point out sin by the way you love, or do you tolerate, condone, or enable it? Okay? Follow-up question. When you point out sin and people react, do you curse back? Do you want to fight? <laughs> do you get all offended and want to get, you know, get at them? If you do, you're not loving like Christ, right? We got to lay down our lives, brothers and sisters. It's hard. It's no-joke stuff. And this is why we need the grace of God. That's why we need to depend upon God daily. You know, I have some people in my life right now who are um, caught up into homosexuality and their family, so I, I, I love them with the worldly love, the natural love. That's there. That's easy, right? It's not hard to love people with that kind of love. But I know if I'm going to give them the hope of the gospel, i got to tell them the truth about that, right, from heaven's vantage point. And see, that's where the rub comes, right? 
That's where we need things like wisdom. That's where we need things like God's grace to give us the courage to go there. Follow me? That's where we need to do it with tact and balance. But nevertheless, it needs to be what? Done. Right? You got to be willing to go there, brothers and sisters. Or else our society will continue to rot in their unbelief and in their sin. And they won't even know that they need a savior. Because they've, they've justified everything. PC. You know? Right? Jesus didn't take offense when people hung him on the cross. Stephen didn't take offense with the first century church when they martyred him. They knew that they were in a battle, and they knew that they were fighting for something much, much bigger than themselves. Brethren, we must not take the opposition of the world personally. They will hate us. Jesus told us that. They hate me they will hate you. And I just want to conclude our time by reading John, and turn there with me, and, and I promise we'll, we'll be done. John 15. And if you're here today and you're outside of Christ, let me make something very clear, because you might have heard a different message coming from Christians, so-called Christians, okay? Some genuine, some not so genuine, okay? That God will love you despite your sin. That's false. That's not true, okay? God is not going to love us on our terms. God's going to love us on his terms. And what that means specifically is God so loved the world that he gave Jesus Christ to take personal responsibility for dealing with your sin so that you can be reconciled back to him. You understand that? Study the cross sometime, you who are unconverted. Watch Mel Gibson's The Passion or whatever. Some, some you know, do what you can. I, I would recommend you go to the Bible and get with Christians and talk about this but know what Jesus did on behalf of sinners so that you can have the hope of the gospel. So that you can see the love of God for what it really is. He loves his enemies and he deals with sin in the way he loves. That's his terms, not ours. All right? Jesus says this, verse 18 of, of John 15. <clears throat> And in 9, just to let you know, he's talking about the world. He says, as the Father loved me, I also loved you. Abide in my love. He's talking about a distinct kind of love. But, I, I, you know, just for the sake of time, I want to drop down to verse 18, still talking about the love of God, right? If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. So notice how he's talking about love-hate. Love-hate, okay? If you were of the world, the world would have loved its own. That's how Pharisees were loving, right? What good is it if you love those who love you? Do not tax collectors love that way? See, that's the way they love. That's their kind of love, right? The good old boy. I got that in me, by the way. I'm a Ravens fan, and 
I naturally, you know, kind of love Ravens fans, and we don't like Pittsburgh fans, you know, that kind of thing. Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is no greater than his master. That means if it happens to Jesus, it's probably going to happen to us because we're being trained by him. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake because they do not know him who sent me. Watch verse 22. This is what Jesus did. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no what? Sin. Jesus, by his coming down and mingling amongst sinners, then they begin to realize what? Something's wrong with us. The Pharisees, the nation of Israel, all of them. Something's wrong. We don't like him around. He, he, something's not right about these Christians. They, they make us feel guilty all the time. They make us feel like our lives are all messed up. That's what he's talking about. Sin. Sin. We feel like we're offensive to God when we're around those Christians. We, sometimes we can't help that, brothers and sisters. We, we, you understand? I don't make apologies for that. Okay? Now, if I'm being belligerent or sinful myself, yeah, I got to apologize and ask for your forgiveness there. But don't condemn me because I'm trying to live righteously. That's who I am now. I'm a Christian, and I'm proud to be a Christian. And I want to walk with dignity before my God in light of what he's done for me. And so should you, all of you. Sin is the reproach of any people, the Bible says, but righteousness exalts a nation. Do you understand? He says this, if, it had not come, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me, that's why they hate him, he who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin, but now they have seen and also hated both me and my father. Brethren, let's not take it personally when we're living the Christian life and we're doing what God has called us to do and people begin to hate us for it, okay? That's going to happen. Don't take it personally. Jesus says rejoice and be glad. Why? Because that's an evident mark that you are a true, genuine Christian. Do you understand? The Spirit will bear witness with your spirit that you are the Son of God, a child of God. All right? So let's love like God, brothers and sisters. Let's be willing to love our enemies, and let's be willing to deal with sin in the way we love and not sweep it under the carpet, right? And I know I can say a lot, much, a lot more about how to go about doing that, but I only have so much time, and I'm going to leave it here with this, with this sermon and, and, and close it out, all right?